Hello and welcome back to the Co-op News Punch podcast. This is officially episode 31. That was due, well, over a month ago. Completely my bad on that because of some personal things. Stuff just has been taking a long time. But I'm back and I'm here once again with Samzai. How's it going? I'd say it's going well. Good, good. Now, we've got quite a few varied bits of news here to cover today. We're going to do our best to catch up on things for people. We've actually, there's been people asking us, where is the news punch? So so we're here, we're back. Yes. It, it took a while, though. I think we're like, it's been well over a month since the last one. Yeah, it was super, super late. It's entirely my fault. I take full responsibility for that. But we're back. And with any luck, we'll be more regular on this so we can keep up with things. So let's talk about AMD because they released their Fidelity FX Super Resolution FSR for short. So it's it's a bit like N- NVIDIA's DLSS in a way, but l- a bit less advanced, right? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I haven't like checked out the actual comparisons between the two, like comparison images. But right. basically, both like operate under more or less the same principle of upscaling images in a way that looks nice, so you can render at a like a lower resolution and then upscale it to a higher resolution, and while like somehow sort of creating detail where it doesn't actually exist. So you kind yeah. of like create this artificial detail. Well, one of the things about it is exactly that, that you're supposed to be able to, like gaming on a 4K resolution with something like ray tracing, the idea is that you can bring your render resolution down, use something like DLSS or AMD's FSR and get a better picture quality so you're actually boosting your performance. But it's, I'm I'm not a massive fan of these techniques, to be honest with you, because it feels like it's covering up inadequacies of either what the GPUs can actually do to render these games at these resolutions. Um, That's kind of how I feel a bit like it. Like there are, well, you, you, could see this. you could see it that way. Um, but then some of it, it, I'll just say, some of it is also down to games that there are plenty of games out there that are, are too heavy for what they look like as well. I mean, that's always going to be true. And there are some games that just are poorly optimized and... I think in many of those cases, this kind of FSR technology is not going to even like really help that much. But um, I would also see it from this kind of a point of view uh, that I saw like brought up on a YouTube video that I kind of stumbled upon at some point, where um, this is a way for people who have budget GPUs to potentially get games to uh, sort of look a little bit nicer, but also, you know, run them at smoother frame rates on, like, lower-end hardware. Yeah, that is a definite benefit of it. I'll agree to that, yeah. I actually tried it in uh, Dota 2 when Valve released the update that included AMD's FSR, and the the results on the picture quality was actually quite nice. It sharpened it a bit. Yeah, it was quite interesting to see it in action. Yeah, I mean, it's just more options, really, and, like, I, I think in this case, like, there isn't really anything bad to say about it because it just gives you an option that you didn't previously have or you would have to, like, suffer with a lower resolution and all of the sort of jaggedness that comes with that. So in, the, in that sense, like, having this kind of uh, upscaling uh, technology available is very good. And obviously uh, the big thing about uh, AMD's 
uh, FSR technology compared to like the LSS is that it's it's totally open and uh, there is no like uh, sort of vendor lock-in with this technology. You can use it with just about anything. Well, yeah, that that's a big thing about AMD FSR is that it works even on NVIDIA. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, potentially quite handy for some people. Yeah. So we've spoken a bit about AMD, but what about NVIDIA? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have the... Um, on the NVIDIA side, there is also some stuff happening. Uh, something that has been available on AMD for a while, but it's it's now making its way onto NVIDIA as well. Yeah, so most distributions nowadays still use the X11, but you have the next generation, which is Wayland, which is coming along very nicely everywhere. But the problem there was that you could use most of it on AMD GPUs just fine, but NVIDIA's drivers didn't have the hardware accelerated support for OpenGL and Vulkan. So you couldn't, you essentially couldn't really do a lot. Well, it did have that, but not for well, the X Wayland. X Wayland. Yes, yeah. that's it. That's it. X Wayland. We got to get that right. So we're not saying the wrong thing but yeah. yeah but my point was still the same you couldn't do a lot you couldn't play you know the thousands of games that you've got in your steam library because they all needed the hardware accelerated x wayland support but now finally nvidia have done it yeah um and you sound very excited about it, it it's, <laughs> it's really late they've they've like we've had this on amd for ages like I, I've been using Wayland as my sort of primary desktop uh, sort of uh, uh, desktop server, uh, either through Sway or GNOME for the past maybe like two or more years, mostly without issues. And yeah. now, only now, is NVIDIA catching up to having like this basic stuff. Yeah, the, NVIDIA are slow sometimes, but I'll be honest... I still like NVIDIA, though, because they have their day one drivers out there day and date with all their new hardware releases. And they have been putting out some pretty impressive driver updates lately as well. So it wasn't just X Wayland hardware accelerated X Wayland that they did. They also added in uh, quite a few other changes. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a bundle package of all kinds of things. Obviously, it's not just X Wayland, although, like at least from my point of view, X Wayland kind of an important thing amongst all of these things. Yeah. So if you go and get the latest Nvidia driver, the four seventy series that they recently they had a beta version in June, and then there's another one that came out after that, which is now supposedly stable. But on top of hardware accelerated X Wayland, they've added in. DLSS support for Proton with Vulkan titles, but DirectX support is coming this fall, autumn, whatever. And something that I was quite excited in that they've finally done, which again, AMD have had for what feels like forever, is asynchronous reprojection support, which is quite important for VR users. But that's actually been causing me issues, which is really annoying. So, yeah... Asynchronous reprojection is supposed to enable you to, well, when games can't hit the level of performance that they need to be smooth, it's supposed to help with that. That's the basics of it. But mm-hmm. with it actually enabled with Steam VR, I've tried it across multiple titles. It just Steam VR just dies repeatedly 
like it doesn't even last two to three minutes most of the time. It just dies. Oh, well. Yeah. So it was exciting and then it crashed and burned. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't this still sort of like um, uh, a sort of a beta driver type of deal? So, what's... Well, it's it's their first attempt at it, but the driver itself with that in is a stable driver now. So oh. uh, I, I reported it on the Steam VR GitHub as well. Uh, and the workaround is quite literally to disable asynchronous reprojection. Well, I, um, you got a lot of benefit out of that driver version then. Yeah, woohoo! Great. <laughs> Broken features for the win. Yeah. But but I don't know yet if that's a driver issue or a Steam VR issue, to be fair. Yeah, it's probably going to be fixed over time by either party. Yeah, well, either way, NVIDIA have still been putting out some big drivers, big features. Um, yeah. So hopefully, whatever that is that's causing the VR issues with the asynchronous reprojection, hopefully they'll sort it out. Now we're on to uh, your your favorite topic, which is game streaming. Oh yes, you're you're a massive fan of game streaming, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, and I really would like would like to see more companies <laughs> enter this uh, particular uh, lucrative industry and uh, do the same that they've done to uh, the TV series streaming. To gaming. For the record, Samsung hates game streaming pretty much, don't you? Yeah, I really don't like it at all. I feel like <laughs> it is an it's a it's an invasion upon my ability to enjoy games on my own hardware. Yeah. That that is definitely one aspect that lots of people have talked about. We're not gonna talk about that aspect of it again though, but it is a genuine real issue. But what we're yeah. gonna talk about today is the big red N. Netflix, they want to get into game streaming. Please, for the love of God, no. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you even put that as the title. Please, for the love of God, no. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you warranted it, but like, what what is what what does Netflix like have to offer in this space? Well, they have a massive user base. Everybody knows who Netflix are. That alone will probably help boost it. But they've uh, they pulled in uh, a fellow named Mike Verdu, a former VP at Facebook Reality Labs, great, uh, mm-hmm. who also worked at EA at some point as well. But they are going to be they're going to be the vice president of game development at Netflix. So it's quite a cool okay. title. Okay, well, I mean, at least uh, at least this guy has like a very um, sort of uh, impressive uh, resume of places that they worked at. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, they've pulled in somebody who I assume knows their stuff about business. But Netflix, I mean, playing games on Netflix, it's not completely unheard of because they've got some choose your own adventure style stuff on there already. And those are actually quite interesting. But full games on there. Yeah, I don't really know. And it's also like... The thing that I'm worried with is like, okay, it's it's all fun and games while Stadia is lo- like doing their game, game streaming thing and whatnot. Yeah, but I bet as companies like Netflix start to enter this scene, that you know what this means. This this will mean that there is going to be Netflix exclusive video games, and then they're going to start like sort of 
taunting like indie devs, like, hey, would you like to sign an exclusivity deal with us? And then you you will not sell your game to any of our competing streaming services or something. And they have a lot of money to throw around on this. They're already throwing on huge sums on like Netflix original content. So there's they'll probably start throwing the cash around. But the good news for the moment, though, is that Netflix appear to be focused on mobile-style titles first. So they're not jumping into normal indies and AAA stuff yet. So hold your pitchforks. They pitch can have forks. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can have all of those care. mobile games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. I really couldn't care less if Netflix started doing mobile games. Not at all. Yeah, um, it's not like I'm ever going to like fire up that part of Netflix ever. No, but I mean, if they, I mean, at least it's not going to bother me. That's that's the best part about this. Yeah. How about we talk about an actual game? An actual game, you say? Yeah. So this one you are quite a fan of, right? So I might as well open up the floor to you on this since you've played it all. Yeah, so um, Wolfenstein Blade of Agony, which is something that I've uh, been following along for quite a while. Um, And uh, it's basically like, it it feels wrong to say do mod, because it really kind of is not. It's um, I get this wrong all the time. I call things Doom mods and people have a go at me because it's not a mod, it's a standalone game. And it's like, well... Yeah, I mean, it is it is built on the GZ Doom like engine technology, um, and you can just like basically run it on top of your version of GZ Doom that you might get from like your repos and whatnot. Yeah, uh, it provides like recent enough, but it doesn't require any of the Doom like wads or anything like that. So in that sense, it is standalone. Um, it also gets more confusing because they are kind of like it's uh, it, they're 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 using sort of the Wolfenstein name there so everything gets a little bit murky so so it's not a it's not a mod for any wolfenstein game it's not really a mod for a doom like for doom either but sort of anyway but the point is that it's basically like um uh a game that is sort of set in the wolfenstein uh universe and um it is it is really cool and um some time ago, uh, they released a version 3.0, which was like supposed to be their sort of final version of this game. And um, what they ended up doing is that they got a lot of feedback on some more controversial aspects of the 3.0 version, right. and they ended up pulling it. Uh, they, they completely like pulled all of the, the files, um, and they basically just set back to work on it more. Uh, right. To make some edits, I believe part of the issue is that due to Nazi symbols and stuff, they have to be all developers have to be really careful about German law, and I believe they were in the firing line on some of the bits they had in the game. Uh, I think the German law has sort of been relaxed a little bit. Like uh, when the original Wolfenstein 3D was like released uh, in Germany, they had to cut all of the swastikas out and replace all of them. Um, the law has, to my knowledge, changed so that you can have these uh, sort of si- refer- you can reference these Nazi symbols. But the problem there was that um, the new episode in Wolfenstein: Blade of Agony sort of references some, and and even like some of the earlier episodes, they reference some uh, like real events of the Holocaust. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, that's a pretty uh, pretty rough subject. 
yeah, so there, uh, to my knowledge, there was like um, uh, a level set in a like a concentration camp, and there were some like a little bit dubious sort of um, choices that were made. Like some of the, I think there are like there were zombies or are zombies in the, the since the level still exists, it has just been like renamed and reworked a little bit. But there were basically like Jewish zombies in the concentration camp level, oh, and some of them had like name tags that had names of real Holocaust victims. Yeah. Okay. So, and see, I didn't know it was quite like that, but that is, um, I can, that's, I, that's what I've heard. I haven't played that level myself, so I haven't like checked, but that's what I heard. Um, and then there was like an that's earlier quite level. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's, it's rough. Um, and then there was an earlier level, uh, set in bronze in, pa- uh, in Paris, and that referenced like this uh, sort of a, an actual exhibition that the uh, Nazis held in uh, the occupied uh, France, which was basically uh, something along the lines of like Jews in France. And it was basically like this exhibition of basically like really anti-Semitic uh, sort of depictions of Jews. And like that part is referenced in the uh, or was re- referenced in the in the level Mm-hmm. In the in Wolfenstein Blade of Agony, yeah, and the the thing the thing here is that Wolfenstein Blade of Agony isn't really like advocating for these things. Like, it doesn't consider this to be good because it's a game about literally shooting down a bunch of Nazis. That's what the game is all about. Yeah, it it's can... just that communicating all of that, like sort of going into these parts of like really ugly parts of history something that you have to do with a lot of care absolutely and I, yeah and i think some of the sort of the what they were trying to communicate there was like lost in it and uh i think some in, some people interpreted that it was basically just sort of like taking these like real ugly parts of history and then just like using them as like sort of shock pieces in the game uh for no like real uh sort of um uh, purpose other than just the shock value yeah, I can definitely understand why some people might feel that way. And I think they got quite a lot of uh, negative feedback about making changes as well. Yeah, I mean, there was there was then back, backlash on uh, them making these changes because they went and then released a new version that uh, edits some of this stuff out. I think the concentration camp level is still there, but they've changed some of the like look of the, the zombies and it's not like referencing the Holocaust that directly anymore mm-hmm. um and what they were basically saying is that um uh i believe they were saying something along the lines of like uh the wolfenstein sort of world isn't very good for like trying to explore these topics in this kind of a way yeah and i, I would agree with that um it, it's difficult to make these determinations of particularly if you have games set in like the world war Two. like how do you sort of uh, approach these parts of World War Two. Like, do you acknowledge them? Do you not acknowledge them? Is it wrong to not acknowledge them? Does it make the world seem like? Do you are you like sort of whitewashing the 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 whole like history of the war if you ignore these parts? But then you, if you do touch upon these parts, how do you do it in such a way that your message doesn't get skewed and misinterpreted? And it's it's a really tough topic. Yeah, and. But in this case, that it seems like the developers actually wanted to do it this way, uh, both to make sure that their game wouldn't be like having any issues in 
Germany because I think some of the developers of this uh, game are also German. Mm-hmm. Um, but also so that you know their messaging doesn't get mixed up because yeah. well they dealt with it though didn't they and they brought like quite a lot of improvements in the latest release as well yeah i mean in addition to like editing some of this stuff uh and i i personally agree with the decision to edit it this way i i think that uh we don't need a wolfenstein game that is basically just a uh, a game about sort of running around shooting nazis sort of a little bit mindlessly to yeah be telling these stories we we can approach these stories in a different kind of way uh, mm-hmm. through different uh, games or different media yeah uh, but they also provided uh, performance fixes so the game now runs better and honestly the game is just like really good it, you get a lot of bang for your buck considering it's free it's yeah hours upon hours long and the level design is really good the weapons are really nice it's sometimes kind of brutally difficult but not like too too much and i've i've streamed it a couple of times and i've had like some of the devs uh watching me play it and there were even some cases where i would run into this like very difficult like scenario and i would like just basically whine about the game being too hard and the developers like said yeah we're going to just patch that part (laughs) well it does look like a great game though it is a very good game i would highly recommend it okay now before we just jump into the next topic, you're going to talk about um, doing your own live streaming on your own setup outside of Twitch and YouTube and so on. But I just want to mention for anybody listening and for you as well that I just, it popped up on my phone in front of me and I have to bring it up because it is hilarious. We all know how completely terrible the copyright situation is on YouTube and Twitch, right? You know it. Yeah. 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 Right. Hector Martin, the hacker who, one of the people who's currently working on porting the Linux kernel and drivers and so on to the newer Apple Apple Silicon Macs, sent out a tweet to say that they got a copyright claim for typing on their keyboard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's amazing. The copyrighted content, according to it, is... And this is direct from YouTube, typing on a modern keyboard 02. So there's more than one of these sound bites they've got. Yeah, and this isn't even the first time. Some people have recorded like bird sounds and then put those into the content ID system. So every time those birds, like, uh, every time one of those birds happens to be in some video, you can get like a content ID claim on your video. It's just the whole system is so completely broken. But that partially is one of the reasons you're doing your own live streaming stuff nowadays isn't it yeah so do you want to tell us a bit about that yeah sure i i will so i like a few weeks ago i basically left twitch behind uh entirely um i was like sort of uh exploring this idea like it has been a sort of uh, a dream of mine for like years now to operate my own uh sort of uh infrastructure for streaming and video sharing and that kind of stuff because i've i i've done youtube in the past and i by now i just have like zero trust in youtube in twitch and all of these places like i've seen them screw up so many times that it just like feels dirty to do anything on their platforms frankly so uh i stumbled upon this thing called owncast not that long ago um, so it's basically like a tool 
that you can, it, it basically allows you to just very quickly set up a very simple streaming site. Uh, it will handle all of the ingesting the uh, streaming, like the video. It has, it provides like a chat feature and uh, it's basically like a simplified version of like a single channel Twitch, pretty much. Yeah. So um, how's that been going then? Oh, it's been going quite fantastic, actually. So I have been running this on a Hetzner VPS that I pay literally less than five euros a month for. That gives me a dual core CPU, two gigabytes RAM, 20 terabytes of traffic. And um, it actually runs really well. Um, I've uh, managed to have all of my streams. Like, I haven't had to go back to Twitch since I moved over to OnCast. Mm-hmm. Uh I had some early troubles, like setting everything up and uh, like tuning some of the uh, encoder settings. But I've recently realized that I can basically use this option called pass-through. And what it will do is it will not even re-encode the video stream on the server because the server has relatively little CPU to spare. And uh, I can basically just encode the stream entirely on my like much more powerful desktop. And um, yeah, lo- gen- generally speaking, like people seem to be enjoying those live streams quite well. Like, I've managed to bring in all of my regulars over to uh, OnCast, and um, yeah, they're, some of them are even saying, like, it works better now because they don't get, like, the pre-roll ads. It's just, like, it immediately hooks into the, the actual live stream. Yeah, so, so I, I suppose you just do quite literally whatever you want. Yeah, and there is nobody that can really... Well, I mean, apart from Hetzner. Hetzner could technically... Uh, decide that if if I did something very out of the TOS, they could shut me down. But there isn't now some Amazon or Google with their content ID systems breathing down my neck all the time. And that, it, 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 like just just by itself, is very liberating because if if it now happens that I'm playing some video game and uh, like suddenly there is some surprise tatas on the screen. I don't have to like immediately get like worried that I'm going to get banned by Amazon right? Yeah, or something like that. So okay. yeah, so, it's, I'd say it's very liberating. Worth looking into for people that want to do their own direct live streaming then, would you say? Yeah. And like I said, you can get into this whole thing with less than five euros a month. And what was it called? Owncast. Owncast. Owncast.online is the, uh, the website of the project. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting. Talking about open source, what's all this about an open 3D engine from the Open 3D Foundation? Yeah, so this was like a Linux Foundation thing. Um, So Linux Foundation created this project to make available like an open engine for like 3D stuff. Yeah, the interesting thing about it is that from what I've actually read is that, well, it's it's based on Amazon's Lumberyard game engine, which itself is based on CryEngine because Amazon bought basically the rights to it at some point. So what they've basically done is you could see it as in that they kind of gave up with it, but they, they haven't really because they're still working on it. But they've basically donated the entire thing as open source and teamed up with the Linux Foundation. So you've now yeah, got I mean, this massive open source game engine out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, largely because I, I guess Amazon didn't want to like try to compete in the like en- game engine uh, sort of space with things like Unreal Engine and uh, and Unity. 
So this was sort of a way to do something with the 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 intellectual property that they bought and maybe even get some like people to actually use Lumberyard because I haven't heard of basically anybody using it. Practically no one. Yeah, pretty much. Nothing so, really important. Yeah. So yeah, I mean they they've basically donated that to the, the Linux Foundation project for creating this uh, or making available this open 3D engine. And um, and now it's apparently coming to Linux too, which is appropriate considering it's a Linux Foundation thing. Honestly, I I still do find it slightly hilarious that the Linux Foundation teamed up with a company to bring this engine to open source. And when they actually announced it officially in press releases, it didn't even have Linux support hooked up. I, I still find that a bit silly. Now, I know that there was work that needed to be done to get it to that stage. But the point is, we're less than two months later. I think we're less than a month after the announcement and Linux support is just about getting there to be hooked up. So it's like, why couldn't they have just waited to make an even bigger splash? It just, uh, it's, it just seems a bit silly, really. Yeah, I think that, like, overall, this whole Open 3D engine, like, it wasn't the, the main focus for it. It wasn't actually that the editor itself be available on Linux immediately. Uh, so I think it was largely, I think the, the Open 3D Foundation thing, like, it had a slightly larger goal than that. I know. It's just coming from the Linux Foundation. It just, it tickled me a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, Linux Foundation like has a lot of projects, and many of them are not even necessarily like directly Linux focused. Yeah, but well, it's another huge open source game engine with what seems like wide industry backing, plenty of people hacking away on it, and so it could place up there alongside, well, eventually anyway, alongside the likes of Unreal Engine and Unity, whereas smaller developers will probably just carry on with Unity or Game Maker or Godot or whatever. Godot, yes. Hey, I said Godot Engine correctly this time. Thank you. I mean, some people say that it's Godot, but I, and I've even heard some of the like Godot developers say that it's Godot, but I, I, I appreciate the literary reference more, so I would say Godot every yeah. single time. Fair enough. Right, we're going back onto your favourite subject now. Oh, yes. Stadia. Yeah, it's still alive. Somehow. Some yeah, somehow. And Google has somehow forgotten to cancel it. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's where they're at right now. But actually to to be clear, Stadia is still a store. There are still new games coming out for it all the time. And they actually made a bit of a splash recently because they're doing a more generous revenue model. So th- they're trying to entice more developers to basically put their games on Stadia and they need a bit of porting work unlike GeForce Now because Stadia is based on Linux so developers somehow need to get their games working on Linux to be on Stadia. So they're now saying that developers will get 85% of the revenue for the first 3 million but that is only for titles launching between October until the end of 2023. And they said it basically goes back to normal after that, but they're not saying what is normal. We just assume it's around about the same as Steam. So they're probably going to go back to taking about 30%. But that's not all. They're trying to help more developers get their games on Stadia as well. They're, they've announced a porting, a Stadia porting toolkit. And part of this is a translation 
layer between DirectX and Vulkan, hmm. which sounds really familiar. Because yeah. DXVK and VKD3D Proton do that exact same thing. Yeah, so do we have any details on that, or is it just like, are we just guessing that it's probably DXVK? At this point, we're guessing. I mean, if they were using DXVK, I'm sure by now someone somewhere would have said something. But there's already a couple of ports on Stadia that actually use DXVK anyway, which I Hmm. always thought was quite interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it could also be that Google did the super smart thing and just designed their own translation layer because why not yeah well it's just stadia is still there they are also saying uh beating a dead horse i could say that yeah but something else that's interesting is google are looking for a product manager which revolves around stadia but one part in particular stands out because some time ago when Google shut down the first-party Stadia game developer. They mentioned about needing to get Stadia to a place where it was a sustainable business, and that was already ringing alarm bells. Like, is it losing a lot of money? Is it people like thinking, oh, it is going to shut down then? But this new job advert actually mentions in it that part of the the developer's role, whoever joins them, will need to work on the infrastructure and the tools for partners to build their own streaming platforms and it mentions there again that their goal is to build a long-term sustainable business so it still sounds like stadia is not doing amazingly well well i mean it wouldn't be the first time that google is operating a like a service at a loss i think youtube has, <gasps> really like yeah i think youtube has been basically just a net negative for ages the only reason they're holding on to it is because it's so strong a brand yeah yeah, probably. I can't. I just can't see how all of those videos just it takes so much space and bandwidth and so on. I've, I know they've got like thousands of servers, but it still must cost an astronomical sum. Yeah, it probably does. And like I said, at least this is what I remember. Like, it, it could be that my information is like years old by now, but I do remember like years ago hearing that YouTube was basically operated at a loss. But it's just like a, such a valuable service because it basically has a monopoly on the online video distribution that like it's worth keeping so that their competition doesn't actually catch up to them yeah some some things unfortunately for businesses are just like that you need to keep certain services up even when you make a loss on them because otherwise your competitors will just come along and steamroll over you yeah okay so now we are moving on to the big one the meat of today's episode the tasty steak if you will Mm. valve announced the steam deck handheld pc indeed they did so this is we finally know why valve has been investing since the failure of steam machines and steam os 2 into drivers the linux kernel and proton because the Steam Deck is built on a new version of SteamOS built on Arch Linux. And they're heavily investing and advertising Proton for this as well. Now, I'll state for the record, I'm quite, I am genuinely quite excited about it. I've got a, an order, well, reservation in. But there's so many points to think about when it comes to the Steam Deck, both pros and cons. 
We're going to start yeah. with the cons. So I'll let you open up there, going through some some possible and some real cons on the Steam Deck. Yeah. So this is a drum that I have been beating on for years now. Um, but basically, I I make no secret of the fact that um, I am very much kind of against this heavy reliance on Proton, and it seems like Valve is just sort of doubling down on Proton with the Steam Deck, and I, I I understand why it's uh it's the quickest way to bring like a lot of sort of supported titles onto the platform so that it can get a quick boost early on. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like this heavy reliance on Proton is also a bit of a threat to Linux gaming as a whole. I mean, Proton is basically just Windows APIs, so at that point we're basically relying on Microsoft for games to remain compatible with our platform, which is, I don't know, that seems like it's handing a lot of power to Microsoft there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Valve has basically been almost like with their advertising towards like uh, uh, developers of games, they've basically just gone and said that there is no need to port games. And Yeah, that stung a bit. Yeah, that 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 that's that stings um, because basically what they're saying is they're advocating for ignorance on the part of developers. Like you don't need to know anything about this platform. You don't need to investigate this platform. You can just like your games just work. It gives Valve. <laughs> it gives Valve basically a huge amount of power. It almost makes it like Valve have complete control over Linux gaming in a way. Yeah, I mean. If people, if, if developers start targeting Proton as like an actual deployment target, that hands a lot of power into the hands of Valve because Valve is managing Proton. But if the actual deployment target here is basically Windows, which Proton is emulating, so to speak. I know that Wine is not an emulator, but still. Um, in, in, even in that case, we're now handing power over to Microsoft, and I don't think either of the two deserve that power. Um, and also there's the part of this story that um, we heard from Ethan Lee, where apparently Valve is also hitting up existing ports of, uh, or like developers of existing Linux uh, titles to just use Proton instead. Uh, in as, some cases... As a quick clarification that Ethan Lee is a game porter who's ported over 50 titles to Linux and is also the founder of the FNA project, which is an XNA sort of compatibility thing. Yeah, uh, basically, he's a really cool guy. He's done a lot of work porting a lot of games onto uh, Linux, and he's basically made a, a sort of an art form out of that process because I think he's been doing like he's done these like super quick like five minute ports, or I don't remember what his like record time was, but like really quickly porting stuff over. Um, but he tweeted not that long ago that apparently Valve has been contacting um, in, uh, various developers, including his customers to just basically ditch the native Linux versions of their games and just use Proton instead. Um, and basically, this to Ethan Lee, this was a massive blow. Uh, and uh, what we've heard from him is basically that he's probably going to stop porting games altogether because he feels completely unappreciated by, uh, by Valve and basically um, the sort of these big players of the Linux gaming market. Yeah, it it makes porting a well a very difficult thing to suggest to developers because well you've got someone offering to port their games to another platform 
take but you then know. Is there's a company that says you don't have to yeah so at that point it's basically like do i spend money or do i not spend money i can get like according to these people i get the same result either way yeah. so obviously people are gonna not spend money to and get their games ported over for developers that is handing the entire control of a platform for your game over to valve which it that in a way is concerning um yeah, it's, uh... and, and also, I, like we, we shouldn't just focus on the games because I think we need to talk like about the ec- ecosystem here. Right. Ethan Lee doesn't just port or didn't just port games to Linux. He also developed the FNA framework, and this is kind of kind of like the thing that a lot of other people who have been doing like these ports or who have like or indie developers who have ported their stuff onto Linux by themselves have done, like. It's not just the games. We're not talking about just the games. We're talking about also the like sort of surrounding ecosystem of various kinds of tools, library improvements, uh, driver improvements. Well, and- FNA was even used in Windows versions. I believe some mobile and switch ports even use FNA as well. And from what yeah. e- what Ethan has said is that in one of their messages, they mentioned that there were they're going to end up just handing it over to another developer to carry it on. Well, I mean, the good thing here is that obviously it was free and open source technology, so it can be perpetuated. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it still mean, means that we're going to effectively likely lose a developer of like of good reputation and good skills and... because now they're demotivated. And this means that we our ecosystem is now that much less rich, like that much poorer thanks to all of this. And this includes also other players like Feral Interactive, who also said that they're not going to be doing at least a Linux port of Troy, but apparently possibly like other Linux ports as well, because it's no longer like financially viable. Yeah, um, the the Total War Saga Troy one is an interesting one because it was originally coming to Steam and then it became an Epic exclusive. Not just that, Steam. though. It was actually free when it released on Epic. So that is a lot of people that went straight to Epic to get this game completely free. And so Feral basically says the entire Linux port was put on hold while it was exclusive to Epic. And they're not resuming development on the Linux port for the Steam release. And they said it's due to less demand for native titles since Valve launched Proton. Yeah. But once again here, like Feral... All very well known for their game work. They've ported a fair amount of games. They've done like decent ports. Um, but also, they've also contributed to the ecosystem. I believe some of the driver improvements and things like that have been sort of driven by their porting work. Yeah, in the past, some of their own developers submitted fixes to Mesa open source drivers. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, they also did the game mode tool, uh, which has also, you know, helped along the ecosystem that little bit um so we're unlikely to see those kinds of tools in the future from them as well because they're not going to be interested in doing ports so why would they contribute like various kinds of pieces of tooling and things like that so yeah i mean this is the thing and also i think potentially the the worst thing about all of this is that now that valve is basically saying you don't have to worry about the platform that means that a lot of developers who would be potential developers of like the ecosystem as a whole if like because here's the sort of my hypothesis, uh, which has been that getting developers interested in doing you know ports of their games means that 
you know, they they develop first, like they figure out how to use their tools to make a Linux version, right? Mm -hmm. Then they hopefully test their stuff, which means that they have to install Linux onto some machine of theirs. So they learn a little bit about Linux that way. And then my hope is that some of those developers then become like, they start using Linux more, maybe they become full-time Linux users, and then they start realizing like the value of the ecosystem and start contributing to it. And, you know, that way we sort of get these fresh developers that might like develop technology for our platform. And well, if we're basically saying that you don't have to worry about the platform, why would you need to test? Why would you need to install Linux on any of your systems? Why would you ever want to try it? Why would you ever want to see what is out there? See if it would be better for your work in some ways, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot there to think about and try and um, sort of unpack a little bit. But yeah, some of it is genuinely concerning. For me, mine isn't going to arrive until at least Q1 2022. That is my main concern. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm kind of worried about my backlog, about how I'll have this screen in front of me wherever I travel, and it's just going to laugh at me that I've got so many games that I need to play. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have other concerns, obviously. I share some of yours there about targeting Proton. It's, it is, in a way, handing a bit of control over to Microsoft because Proton is just wine covering the Windows APIs and so on. Yeah. I do share some of those, but there are what I feel a lot of positives to it as well. So one particular, we've spoken about Feral Interactive stopping porting and Ethan Lee stopping porting, but there's one other well-known name, Ryan Gordon, otherwise known as Icolus. Now, Icolus, Ryan Gordon, whatever you prefer to call him, he has worked for a very long time doing Linux ports, quite a lot of earlier ones. Uh, the SDL layer, which helps towards so many things, and it's used not just on Linux. But he sounds quite a lot more positive about it. Yeah. Um, so Ryan Gordon's argument is pretty much that uh, the the idea of opening up Linux, like bringing sort of a Linux device to the masses, will incentivize then developers to also target it. And I can see this like as a potential like uh, scenario where through this Steam Deck thing, we build up a, ma a market share that is like actually worth targeting. So we're, we go be like above that 1%. Dreaded 1%, yeah, that we've been trying to break through for what feels like forever. Yeah, and then Ryan Gordon also brings up the like point that it is an actual Linux desktop device too. You can actually just access a Linux desktop through that system and even develop games directly on it if you want to. Exactly, because so. you hook it up to a monitor, it gives you a full Linux environment. It's that Steam OS three, so it's based it's powered by Arch Linux basically, and it gives you a full KDE plasma desktop. So this is going to put Linux into the hands of easily hundreds of thousands within half a year. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean it, it is a potential thing, but I mean, we've also been making this argument about like how Proton will make all of the Steam library accessible to all of the gamers and they will flood in and then we will get like Linux ports because the platform will grow so much stronger in market share. But that has yet to happen. Well, so. 
the thing about that, though, is, as I've always said, hardware, hardware, hardware. We have needed it from bigger names that has Linux on it for people just go and buy. Because, yes, we've had Proton for a couple of years now, and it has enabled people to play games nearly as soon as they come out. It's enabled people to play vast backlogs of Windows-only games that are never being updated by their developers. But the point is, for people already on Windows, it's it's not really an incentive by itself. So the Steam Deck presents that in a completely new form, which is why I think it is so exciting. Provided that this particular sort of uh, use case that they're targeting with this Steam Deck actually is something that people really want. I mean, we need to consider that we see this product from the point of view of the Linux fan and yeah. we want it to succeed in that like in that sense. But let's also go back a little bit back to the 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 sort of original Steam Machines concept where the idea was like, hey, let's have a Linux box for your your sofa PC so so you can play your games on a PC that is hooked up to your television and Turns out that not a whole lot of people actually cared <laughs> about that particular form factor. There just there just wasn't a market for another living room TV box. That is yeah. the ultimate failure of Steam Machines on top of not having enough games, which, again, a pro here, is that Proton fixes that issue, like, mostly. Um, but the, my, my point here is, is this form factor of the like handheld PC, is this actually going to be it then? Like, is this actually something that enough people are interested in buying so that it like creates the necessary market share for us to break through? That's a definite thing to think on. Um, Gabe Newell himself said in an interview with IGN that they were hoping to sell millions. And um, it was so, it was quite a good sign that when it went live to make your reservation, it annihilated the steam store it took down the steam store even when the steam store came back up their processing system on payments was completely overloaded it it took me about 30 minutes to place a reservation it was that busy so you can already see there's a definite interest yeah i mean sure there there seems to be an interest and i'm sure that this will definitely reach the hands of quite a lot of people my question is, is it actually going to matter? Is it going to be enough like, of a market share increase that developers actually consider Linux anything worthwhile, even with these, these Steam decks? Wow. And, like, so, okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you're saying, like, so you think it might not be essentially enough for developers to take interest, but we've already seen just recently that um Gary Newman of Facepunch Studios who make the survival game Rust actually posted on Twitter that they are already working with Easy Anti Cheat to get it working with Rust on Linux with Proton so you're already seeing one of the most popular survival games on PC getting prepared for it by the developer and the anti-cheat maker. I think that alone speaks volumes on what the expected interest is here from both developers and users. Sure. We we can maybe see like I've I've basically I thought about this a little bit and I basically laid out four scenarios that are more or less like see as possible outcomes of this whole thing. The most optimal like the utopia scenario is that this Proton first approach basically makes the Steam Deck very 
sort of uh, approachable and it gives it like a big early boost in market share and then that translates into a viable target to target natively then the second best scenario that i can see is that the steam deck gains a lot of market share so that people like developers are interested in targeting it but they use proton as the def- like the de facto deployment target which carries its own risks and threatens the uh, the linux gaming uh, sort of ecosystem in my opinion because in that case like native development and native ecosystem tooling becomes sort of a second class citizen because now the main de facto deployment target is proton do you so- not feel though that from the point of view that i'm trying to see is that i i, I understand that concern and i've had that concern myself uh, in the past but with games running on proton it's still running on linux right so everything to get those games to be able to run on linux through proton will still need constant improvements so proton itself drivers linux itself the kernel every part backing it up that would also back up native games will still need yes. you know constant development and improvement so surely that is still in a number of ways, going to be a gain for the Linux desktop overall anyway. Okay, so here's here's a sort of a hypothetical. If Proton becomes the de facto standard for deploying, and this is not, now, now you can do cross, like cross-platform deployment. You can, you can release a single binary, it works both on Windows and Linux, because yep. Proton. Mm-hmm. So what is the point in having Linux export options in Unity 3D? Well, actually, I can answer that one straight away. The the actual reason that Unity are pushing for the Linux editor is not even for gaming. It's for other industries. Okay. And they, they actually said that in a blog post. <laughs> so th- because you've got to think these huge game engines like Unreal and Unity, yes, they use a lot in gaming, but they're also used a huge amount in other industries, which is, and a lot of these industries use Linux. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is, it is an obvious concern to think about. Um, but luckily for the likes of at least Unity, we know that it should still stick around because they have other customers using it for other things. Well, let's hope that those customers keep using Linux in that case. Yeah. Now, but- another point I'd like to make, though, is that talking about using Linux, getting developers to pay attention, Linux itself and everything getting improvements still, even though Valve are telling developers basically don't port your games to Linux, we're improving Proton to the point that, and they're saying they haven't found a game yet that doesn't work, which is pretty impressive. Um, They are telling developers who do wish to test their games and get it working nicely on the Steam Deck to install Linux and test it there. They are telling developers to install Linux and test it. And that alone will then cause... I imagine quite a lot more developers to get more familiar with Linux, and that we could can ha- hope. Well, yeah, I hope it's a hope, definitely. Well, okay, but okay. So, do you know what is a big problem with the uh, the 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 sort of um, semi self driving cars, like you know your Teslas and whatnot? Educate me, hit me. So the big problem there is that they are not actually self driving, right? Um, but they're close enough. They're close enough that a lot of people think that they can do it without supervision. Right. So in this case, the analogy that I'm like sort of establishing here is Valve is saying that Proton is so good that you don't need to port, and they haven't found a single game that doesn't work with it. Right. 
they're also saying you should like test these two yeah. statements are conflicting so what well, what does a lazy what does a lazy human do they don't test yeah yeah no i i totally get that and there absolutely will be developers who don't give a shit Let, let's face it um because the steam deck is going to take time to obviously prove itself on the market but i think and i really do hope that it does i've I've got a lot of excitement around it and I really hope it pushes things forwards and I, I genuinely think it will. And I think that will just cause developers to pay attention. And yes, Valve is saying currently they haven't found a game that they can't really get working on it. But games come out all the time. And the point there is that by getting developers to install Linux and test it, even if it is just using Proton, the point is they are still installing Linux. They're still getting familiar with it. They're testing their games. And if the games don't work well, then they can go back and optimize them. And they might even look at switching, rendering, or even when they start making their games, they might start using things like Vulkan, which that just that is a big thing for the industry for more developers to perhaps focus on an open graphics API as well. I think that there are a lot of possible positives here i think sure. and there, are, there, are, there are positives there are potential positives i i recognize that there it, it's all of this could go exactly the opposite way that i'm predicting this but like my personal prediction here is that uh, we will have a basically we we will go dark age in five years right that's my prediction so so your so your let's say your main prediction then for the steam deck and linux gaming go uh yeah pretty much I mean, it could be like in the bleakest semi-positive scenario that I I can see, the Steam Deck still exists, but it basically just it, we we our platform basically just turns into a consumption platform, and right. uh, at that point we are basically at the mercy of uh, of like either either Steam or Microsoft. In the bleakest scenario that I can imagine, the Steam Deck do- gains. I, I I can I don't see a scenario where it doesn't gain any market share, but my bleakest scenario that I can see is that it gains some market share, but it's ultimately insignificant. And then Valve gets fickle and decides that they have some other more exciting project that they want to work on, and then that leaves Proton to stagnate, and uh, we've killed killed the native development efforts along the way as well. So well, and then the, and then the cycle begins anew, and then we. We have another golden age and then <laughs> potentially followed by another dark age. And Well, I'm going to be the complete opposite with you. I think, honestly, that it is going to... I think within within the first year, I think we'll see at least 5 to 10% of people on Steam have a Steam Deck. And I think that it's going to really... Overall, I think it's really going to help the Linux desktop as well. That is well, That is my I- prediction. I guess we see who was right in about five years. Right. Somebody, listeners, set a reminder in a, we'll say, in a year or two time, and we'll, we'll see who's right. Uh, sure. I mean, like I said, <laughs> my prediction is a little bit longer term, uh, but I mean, we can we can definitely uh, sort of check where we're at in a year or two. Yeah. Well, we'll put a pin in it and we'll come back. Right. So let's talk about what we've been playing recently. I'll let you start off this. What have you been playing? 
Yeah, so sort of going back to some of the stuff that we talked about earlier, I've been playing through Wolfenstein Blade of Agony on Owncast. Um, kind of ties up two of the topics that we've talked about today into one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been playing through that. Uh, I played played a little bit of it. Like I played the first episode through some time ago, and then after the new release came out, I've been starting with the second episode, and I've been enjoying that a whole lot. And I also got into Scourgebringer not that long ago. That is actually and quite a good game. Yeah, it's a very good game. I really like it. It's difficult. very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It's because you can run up the walls and everything and zip through the air. And I, I keep pressing the wrong buttons and getting hit. Yeah, that kind of happens to me a whole lot as well. And I, I still haven't quite figured out how to deal with the ranged enemies properly. Yeah. But I'm getting better slowly, but surely. Would you say it's worth people picking up? I would say it's worth picking up, definitely. It looks very nice. It plays really cool. All right. Well, it's probably going to come as no surprise to people that follow Gaming on Linux that I've been playing quite a lot of Splitgate, which is the first-person shooter with portals. It's free to play. It's currently in beta. They've had a lot of issues with their servers because they have blown through basically every expectation for the game they ever had repeatedly and it just loops on a cycle where they boost everything and then like tens of thousands more people just appear to try and play it and it and they keep taking it down and they've like hired new back-end people to sort it out they've got like 10 million now in funding to make sure they can get it to the stage where it needs but it's yes yeah, it's, it's genuinely good just having the ability to stick a portal behind you and then a portal across the map and you can shoot through it, see through it and run through it. It is really fun. I would highly it, recommend going and checking that one out. It really is like a lot of fun. I've, I've played it with you on some like live streams and whatnot. And it has been a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know how groundbreaking the, the portaling is really. Uh, but like, as far as like uh, the, the sort of arena shootery kind of thing, it does pretty good. Yeah, I've also recently picked up because I've been trying to stretch out on my VR stuff a little bit. Um, I picked up Pistol Whip, so I've been playing that with Proton, and it's um, it's very sweaty. I'm going to mention I was um, dripping is the word I'm looking for. It was unbelievably warm because we had a bit of a heat wave over here, um, and it it fe- Pistol Whip felt like being a kid again almost being at an arcade where i have a, a big gun in my hands and i'm pointing it at a giant screen in front of me it's yes yeah, genuinely good fun some of the most difficult fun i think i've had in vr so far and it's it made me so hot that i looked up a fan i've now got a little fan which i'm going to be writing about in a future article that i've now stuck in the front of my valve index which is yeah it's it's worked quite nicely actually but it is a bit. It's still weird having this quite warm thing strapped to your face, and now I've got a fan bulging out <laughs> the front of it. It's, uh, Maybe you need to install like a water cooler to the, uh, <laughs> or or like a water cooling setup for your valve index. Yeah. For your brain. Talking of hardware, though, one final thing I do want to mention is now I recently picked up a vertical mouse. For not just work, but for gaming as well. And again, I'm going to be writing an article about it. But for somebody who suffers from pain in their hands because of an injury, it's genuinely helped. I'm actually kind of amazed. I went back 
to play some Splitgate, and it's it's a bit weird in first person shooters. So I tried my normal mouse again, and no, I don't like normal mice now. Nope, <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot use my original mouse anymore. It has to be vertical. Yeah, it, that, that's kind of like a, a little bit similar to me with uh, mechanical keyboards and membrane keyboards. Now I've, I've gotten so used to like mechanical keyboards now. If, yeah. if I go back to a membrane, like it feels absolutely horrible. Absolutely. And I feel like that's kind of like the thing with this, particularly this more like ergonomic stuff. Like when you get used to that stuff, it's just like impossible to go back to the less ergonomic variants. And well, the thing about a vertical mouse is it's just a natural position. Normal mice are, are really not. Yeah, they kind of you end up twisting your wrist in a into a sort of an unnatural angle to use a regular mouse, and that's kind of the point of vertical mice. To yeah. uh, make sure that your hand stays in a natural position, and that's the same reason why like split keyboards work the way they do, and like the the keyboards that are sort of angled and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so our recommendations are to check out from Samzai Wolfenstein Blade of Agony and Scourgebringer, and I am mm-hmm. telling you to go check out Splitgate because it's really cool. And if you do have a VR headset, Pistol Whip is worth a look. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of the Co-op News Punch today. Thank you for sticking with us this long. And hopefully the next episode won't be so far away. Hopefully, yeah. So, it, these are fun. Uh, it's just like and stuff ended up kind of happening between this episode and the last one. So we kind of just ended up not doing one. But yeah. hopefully we'll get back into the rhythm. Yeah, absolutely. So goodbye and so long. Yes, good night. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening.